Welcome to the Inspired Peak Performance Flowcast. Drop in as we dive deep into the epic moments of high performance from around the world, where we aim to unlock the valuable insights into their vision and the strategies applied in the pursuit of their own version of greatness. We'll discuss the experiences that led them there and what state they were in when they arrived. I'm your host, Paul Price, and this is The Flowcast. Our conversation today is with Gareth Evans. Gareth is a father, husband, and the co-founder and CEO of Vector, who seeks out adventure at every turn. Whether it's from flying planes with the British Air Force, training for two months with the Shaolin monks in remote China, or to traveling the world in search of endurance event pain, or the next bike adventure, Gareth is searching for it all. Gareth's role and mission as CEO and co-founder of Vector is to evolve the company as the world's leading energy transition platform, to empower businesses, organizations, and communities to successfully navigate the energy transition and create a distributed energy future. He believes that it's a privilege to lead, collaborate, and work with talented and motivated people, and is passionate about doing this in harmony with Vector's vision, mission, and values, while having a ton of fun along the way. Sit back, enjoy the conversation with Gareth Evans. Welcome to the Flowcast. It's great to be here. I'm digging the background, promoting the uh, the company, um, and I love the I love the slogan empowering your energy future, um, which is kind of in line with kind of my mission a little bit, but more of the internal type. But yours is more the uh, the resource type. So maybe you can um, give the listeners a bit of an introduction on what Vector is, what you're all about, and your journey to becoming the co-founder and CEO of the company. Yeah, sounds great. And empowering the energy futures, definitely internal and external. And I know we're going to have some good conversation around that. Um, so Vector is the energy transition marketplace platform. So we are very focused on distributed energy and microgrids. And really what we specialize in is being able to um, break a project into three core areas, accelerate, optimize, and deploy. So what we help our customers do is in the accelerate phase, really assess and prioritize where there are opportunities for them to um, turbocharge their energy transition and take advantage of uh, the, the movement that's going on right now and the opportunities surrounding the energy transition. Then we help them optimize a solution for the, that really matches their business needs and then connect to a, a marketplace of suppliers, constructors, equipment suppliers, and even capital providers to then have the system deployed on their behalf. And really what's happening today is um, in the developed world in particular, we all get our power predominantly from a centralized energy system. So big power plant, long transmission line, and then we flick the switch on and, and there's electricity. What we're seeing with um, increased severe weather events, aging assets, things like that, the power is getting less reliable. Uh, it's getting more costly. And businesses want to be able to have energy security. They want to be able to reduce their emissions. They want to have reliability. They want to be able to um, manage their costs. And so we're really empowering them to see what's possible and then deploy it as seamlessly as possible. Okay, amazing. Yeah. That's, um, that's, quite, the, uh, that's quite the impact that you guys are taking on board to, uh, to sort of bring into the future. So that's, uh, that's amazing. And, and so... So how did this come about? Like, like you know, let's let's sort of backtrack a little bit. Let's give a bit of an overview on on your story because this is a this is quite a large vision that 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 you're at the helm of here. And um, you know, how does one get to this point or get to the point where you've created this vision and this these connections and this um, this size of an organization to make sure that you know the vision that yourself and the co-founders have. Uh, comes to life yeah it's been a really interesting adventure and a probably non-typical one in the sense that this wasn't a an entrepreneurial effort where we we funded it ourselves or bootstrapped it you know we were tristan and i my co-founder we were part of a large um, engineering corporation wally you know really big brand in australia where you are um, but globally, one of the biggest energy engineering companies in the world. And uh, we're both in the, the energy consulting business. 
I was leading the power networks and systems team. And uh, Tristan and actually his wife, Andrea, um, specialized in distributed energy and saw the opportunity, even though it was quite a nascent market. Um, and really helped um, our team assess where the opportunities were, where the blockages in the market um, existed, how we could add the greatest value to our customers. And one of the biggest challenges uh, that, that was being experienced is just knowing who to turn to, you know, energy consumers didn't know what, what's possible, who do I turn to, how do I get quick, easy, cost-effective answers? And so mm-hmm. we went about um, assessing the market and if we were to go through that process in the business as usual, traditional way, it's a very time consuming, expensive process for customers. And there might not even be a viable solution at the end of it. So the willingness to even explore it was, um, was challenged. So we, we found um, the leading technology in the world for assessing s- systems such as this, where it looks at hundreds of thousands of plausible combinations of technologies and then designs and optimizes the system for you. And so we started building a relationship with Zendi, um, incubating that idea within the corporation, uh, entrepreneurially selling it to key stakeholders within the organization, and then you know validating the business opportunity and we realized through that process that the, the assessment and the screening piece was just a, an initial part of the bigger problem. You know, really the marketplace was uncoordinated, uh, processes are inconsistent, um, everyone's out there spending a huge amount of money trying to sell products and services, but in reality, they're selling them into projects that haven't necessarily be, been even vetted and considered viable. So it was about how do you bring all this together in one integrated platform to uh, empower everyone else to profitably deliver solutions. And, you know, the the profitable piece is really important because as we all know, unless businesses are making money, then they don't exist. And if they don't exist, then we're not going to keep pushing the limits and to uh, really deliver on the energy transition and help uh, our communities, societies, businesses to really achieve what's possible. We need to work together and, uh, vectors the platform for the industry to do that yeah so we we pitched it internally to Worley and then um, they they funded it and we spun out vector as a business from Worley uh, sending Worley are our parent companies okay uh, Tristan and I went with the with the company as co-founders and then we've built the business from there that was only in November 2019 so we're about a oh, year wow. yeah I was, was gonna I was gonna ask you how, how long ago was that but um but yeah so this is still really quite at the infancy of the of the, of the vision and, and where you can yeah, so we, yeah and we launched literally uh, a few months before covid obviously kicked in and <laughs> um it, it certainly threw uh threw some spices into the into the adventure that we weren't necessarily planning for but it's um it's really forced us to take a step back and see what really is needed and how we can best deliver on that without necessarily having to do all the face-to-face interaction that, that we probably expected. You know, I think, as you know, trying to yeah. grow a business, a lot of relationships and trust drive business opportunities and not being able to necessarily be face-to-face with people and build that true trusted relationship makes it a bit more challenging yeah. and it forces you to think more about your product and processes and, and how you engage the market through maybe other other channels. Yeah. Just... I'm interested on that. Like, that's really, I mean, st- yeah, starting the business, you know, starting my business at the at the, at the start of COVID as well, it, it does provide challenges. I mean, yours is a bit, you know, different different sector, different uh, issue, but it has provided a lot of opportunity, but a lot of challenges at the same time. So, what was what was the biggest shift? Was it really just the 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 face to face stuff? Like, how do we build that rapport with potential customers and clients face to face? Was it internal working yeah i think actually my biggest learning i'd say is um i'm typically not a heavy process person you know i I like to be quite maverick in nature and and Mm. maybe not follow the rules as much um and i think we came into the business with that kind of startup mentality of let's move fast let's break things let's not have a whole lot of process and so then as we started staffing up and we're we're all working remotely we realized quite quickly that we needed a lot more process than we actually anticipated. 
in order to achieve what we wanted to and to provide the framework and the security for people to know what was going on at all times because it became we had originally planned to have our kind of core team in San Diego and an office there and you know that would be the the hub and then we'd have people kind of dotted off from that but in reality what ended up happening is we've got a completely globalized international um, multi-time zone team from day one and uh, we don't necessarily have that base culture to build from so we had to build more systems and processes and support network around that um, and actually something else that i found quite interesting was i was purposefully probably not as aggressive with the team in terms of pressure and uh, piling on um, deadlines and deliverables because i i believe that through covid people had enough stress in their lives and they needed some of that spare mental capacity to process some of that i think i was almost too conservative and people almost needed the distraction and it almost was counterintuitive that the more we ramped up the pressure almost the more flow state we got into because wow. people could block off all the other distractions going on in the world and uh, and focus on doing something that they were passionate about so I, I found that a really good learning experience yeah that's really that's really interesting um so sort of innately like going against the grain of your sort of your intuition a little bit going you know like you're more of a hard charge like let's get this moving we want to be fast we want to break things we want to we want to fail to learn um type mentality like let's keep pushing the limits so because of that nature that you you sent you tend to get your kind of flow from your and your um your style peeling it back going into a an, potentially a uh something that it was a little bit uncomfortable for you like loosening the reins a little bit stuff like that that you've actually found that that was decelerating progress rather than sort of accelerating and i think you nailed it when you said you know people are looking for something to focus their attention on that they're passionate about and i think that's been highlighted through COVID. is that a lot of people have sort of all of a sudden a lot of their passions and purposes have been removed from their life mm. um, all of a sudden it's just like you know we can talk about athletes athletes you know competition stopped olympic games postponed all yeah. these things that people are working you know and and not just from an athletic standpoint there's so, so many industries and fields you know performers you know we could go on the list goes on many businesses have had to shut down and things that people are really passionate about that that is intrinsically linked to their purpose has disappeared so and that that's been sort of a, a big thing that i've noted through my work in speaking with a lot of people and working with different clients is that once you remove that passion purpose bit you know we're we are we're ingrained to look for the easy way out like we're yeah. we're naturally and if we're not if we're not presented with something that triggers our you know our flow our attention that, that triggers our that's linked to our passion purpose and uh curiosity then we're we're going to be we're going to take the easy route our brain is going to go yeah i'm going to conserve as much energy as possible let me just sit on the couch and eat some potato chips right now yeah interesting um but through that time because of that stress and adversity that people are faced with and uncertainty what i believe and what i found is that that's actually a flow trigger and what what you said just really aligns with that because stepping into adversity and stress is required for peak performance you know lean into the challenge lean into more challenges and what and if it's linked with our passion and purpose well then you've got a recipe for success right there you got a recipe for flow because it's you know what we what we believe in and what we love doing our vision and we're like-minded people it's going to trigger flow so so once you sort of realize that hang on a second like people need to be engaged more we need to create more engagement for people let's ramp it up a little bit so what did you sort of like go full steam ahead? We're, we're sort of pivoting direction a little bit. We're doing things a little bit differently, but let's give people more challenge. Let's let them use that, the kind of the stress that is needed at the beginning of flow. Let's let's push on that and allow the best of our people to come out. Was that a strategy that was purposeful in your mind? Yeah, definitely. I think um, we've certainly got our ultimate vision, but what we really uh, realized probably just before Christmas of last year, you know, October, November time, that we needed to start putting some more attainable shorter term milestones with pretty aggressive targets in the way. You know, almost similar to, to sport of, you know, you're in this horrible, painful event, but you need these like mini goals to just keep yourself going. 
And so yeah. I think that was really key is setting those milestones, making sure people knew exactly what we're driving for, um, why we're doing it, what they, the reward was at the end of the, the cycle. And that, that really turned around the whole, I think, mentality across the team. And so did you find that providing that clarity for the people actually enhanced the motivation of them and their performance? Yeah, because yeah. everyone wants to uh, get behind the goal, don't they? And even though yeah. I, I felt like we were doing it, I'm communicating the big picture. People want to be able to get into like what is the what is the short-term target and how do I hit it and what value does it have to the, the bigger picture? Um, mm. So I think really taking taking a step back from that and making it more tangible to people that they can grab hold of and see the the immediate impact of of their effort. Yeah, well, chunking down goals, chunking down things, and aligning it with the bigger vision. You know, we often think of peak performance as the big win, right? The, the, the winning the world championship, winning the title, whatever it is you're aiming for, that big, big goal, that high, hard goal. And they're really, really important. And, and what science will tell us is that if you've got a big, high, hard goal, you'll automatically get an 11 to 25% boost in intrinsic motivation. Mm. Um, so I love that, that you started setting those more tangible goals. So just with that being said, you know, is, do you have a, a system like how do you go about um rewarding those little milestones you know so setting those mini micro benchmarks is there a process in place that you have um consciously unconsciously to to sort of reward that yeah we've tried a few different things christmas time we did a a little christmas bonus to kind of thank everyone for hitting the target Um, we've done team building events at the end of a a tough cycle you know we've been Buggy, you know, four by four in the desert. We've been axe throwing, we've been paddle boarding. Um, we've done days off. We've done, we've you know, patted people on the back and said, you know, take it, take a, a day off tomorrow. You know, and it. So we've, we've tried a few different things. Uh, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on what you, what you see working best in business in terms of uh, rewards and recognition to hit those little milestones. Well, I think that. I love all that. I love that stuff, the team building stuff, the the events, you know, building that cohesiveness as a team. I'm, you know, for, for me, I'm not sure that I would say that's something that you would put in as a reward for the team. I think that's something you do as part of your culture. That's just who you are yeah. as, an, as an organization. Like we, we do stuff together because we know that we build stronger, stronger relationships together. It builds more trust builds more um, engagement between the team. Because some of the work I've done in, in terms of like, because quite often we, we spend a lot of time with people in the office or, you know, working side by side, but we actually don't get to, we don't really know them. Yeah. So providing the time and the space for people to really get to know each other. And a little, um, I was working with a, a company recently here on the Gold Coast and at the start of this sort of four four workshops that we did around creating sustainable and consistent peak performance and well-being. I asked them to share something about themselves that they've never spoken about in the office before. It was a small team of about seven or eight. And and everyone at the start was like, oh, geez, that's a bit tough. So as it turns out, this, the stories that these people shared were like unbelievable. Like I was blown away by the stories. One of the guys had to relearn to walk. At a, wow. like about five years prior to that, a young guy. And he didn't go into much detail, but he basically had to relearn to walk. And no one knew it. Just that, I mean, um, the leader knew it, but he wasn't going to share that. And the leader kind of prompted him a little bit. And he shared that. And, and I was like, how do people not know that? Like you've been working here for, uh, or I think it was almost a year. And people didn't know that about this this young man. That builds connection, like that sort of stuff, that vulnerability, that connection. So, I love the the idea of you know, bringing in that space for people to share things about themselves that they normally just it's reserved for their own enjoyment in their head, um, yeah. or it's reserved for the people who know them more intimately. And when you step into that space, you, you you're bringing you're bringing empathy, you're bringing in vulnerability. And you're building trust. And, and this, again, is all a chemical game, right? It's all neurochemistry. And when we've got that 
oxytocin and serotonin and all these great chemicals that make us feel good and connect us, when you can trigger those things in your organization or your team, well, now you're starting to build like real deeper connection, like really integrating that and, and allowing that space for that conversation to happen. So not that that really rewards things, but I think that, you know, doing events like, you know, paddle boarding or um, buggy riding and, and all the cool things that we can do, it should be part of work. These are productivity and yeah, hacks or enhancements because they allow people to connect and it gets them in, you know, doing fun things like, you know, paddle boarding and all these things and challenging people to do new things. You, you're pulling on all the flow triggers as well, like, you know, yeah. novelty, um, challenge, concentration. So you're actually, you're actually training them to train their brain to be more productive. And if they come back from experience of flow state, productivity in a flow state is five times greater than regular um, productivity. So it's almost, I see that as part of like a work thing. Yeah. The reward system, I think is really, it's communication. Um, yeah, I think like doing nice things, like have a day off and things like that. Like they're great things, right? Um, but one thing that, you know, with that, I think, no, it's going to lead us down a bit of a rabbit hole there, but so we might <laughs> go into that. Maybe but, we'll talk about that offline a bit. But you're absolutely right, though. I think we've tried a few of these things. We tried in our monthly company meeting, we give the floor to someone to do like a 15, 20 minute personal share. And it's good mm -hmm. for a few reasons, you know, for the more reserved people, it forces them to actually do a bit of public speaking and put themselves out there. They have to sit back and reflect on their life a bit and prepare something and then, and then share it. And then to your point, the rest of the team gets to know a huge amount more about someone than they probably would never have known. And that, that's been really good for morale. We try and do yeah. our virtual coffee hours and happy hours, just nice to come together. And then um, something that I try and do is every Friday, I do a, a weekly summary where it's, you know, recognizing top performers, cool things that have happened in the business. If there's areas that we need to improve, you know, calling them out. And it's just public for everyone to kind of dig into and, it's become a bit of a, a a weekly mantra for me to get into. You know, it's a really good way of making me reflect on the week, but also yeah. forcing the rest of the team to as well. Yeah, I love that. Um, and just as you said that, like, I guess from the reward standpoint, I love the idea that, and I can appreciate the the challenge within this and the the boundaries that this falls in, but rewarding failure mm. as well. Um, and not in the fact that like it's just been poor performance, but someone who's putting themselves out there or having a crack and going, yeah, maybe it's failure of the week award because failing forward, you know, like that will eventually lead to something, right? Yeah, right? I think that as a concept is really important because it goes against what we're brought up to believe, right? That success only looks like achievement. Peak performance only looks like achievement, but peak performance actually lives in the moment of now and putting it out there and having a crack. But we tend to only reward performance once there's a result that is in the positive. We don't actually see is that once, you know, we always talk about, you know, it's one step back, two step forward, one step back, two step forward. And we, re we reward the two step forward, but as a society, systemically, we, we sort of go, oh, you know, you've dropped a little bit here or this, and we don't reward that so it's it's going and again there's a fine line between you know lack of performance there is the negative aspect of it but if it's truly in an authentic positive area like you could probably creating that safety for people to go and it may be someone putting their hands up saying hey gareth like i'm not sure if that's the right way and you go on hang on a second um yeah. And whether they're right or wrong, you know, and not, don't, I, wouldn't, I probably wouldn't call it the failure of the week, but um, but it could be the, yeah, however you want to um, name that, but mm -hmm. rewarding that, that going, you know, I really, I really appreciate that you stepped out of your comfort zone there and stood up and presented something. Uh, you know, I think that really drives a lot of culture, active, active engagement in the workplace. And, and active engagement is probably the, one of the biggest challenges that we have on the planet you know it's like 
75% of people just report that they're not actively engaged at work. And so, so this is where I think culture and vibe and the reward and the way we look at failure and success really comes into play here because no one wants to feel like they're failing. Yeah. Um, yet to move forward, we have to probably suck. We have to suck at something. We have to, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's that, it's keeping, how do we keep that beginner's minds, mindset um, into in an organization while still leaning on the expertise and value that people bring to the table? So so in terms of so, so leadership, and you touched on this about with, you know, your style's a bit more kind of like setting the deadlines, setting things, and, and then you sort of pull back a bit. You know, so what what do you, what do you think makes a great leader, and what and where do you think your strengths are in leadership, and and what are the things that you're aware of that you are trying to improve on as a leader? Yeah, um, it's been a really great journey because I've never really been a technical person. I've always enjoyed the leadership side of it. You know, whether it's being in a sports team, I spent a couple of years with a as like a volunteer reserve with the, the military and did a fair bit of military cadet training through high school. And so I got to experience, you know, the military leadership side of it, where it's all, um, you know, you're in the trenches together. You've got to communicate really clearly. There's a mission. You've got to get people bought into it and then you just get after it. And it's, it's, it's hierarchical, but it's, you know, you've got to, you've got to lead yeah. by example and lead the charge. And then, you know, through work experiences, um, I've had to play around with that to see what really works in the workplace. And for me, I think my core strengths are really common sense leadership. You know, it's not leadership by numbers. It's not leadership by metrics. It's gut instinct. It's experience. It's surrounding yourself with the right people to, to make mm -hmm. sure that you, you fill in the blind spots. It's, um, lead by example you know i've always said you know give everything expect nothing in return so it's you know putting yourself out there um, really driving for what you believe in making sure you align that with your values which i know is a, a big piece of your thinking you know for me this is all about um, leading by values and then not micromanaging you know the empowering environment where people feel really comfortable speaking up you know our three core values are challenge limits adapt with purpose and empower co-creation and for yeah. me that really kind of sums up everything we do and my personal style i'd suggest yeah does that answer your question <laughs> yeah no i love that and, and i and i do love i you took notes of the uh, the values of adapting purposely challenge limits and empower co-creation so what would you say your because i believe there's a there's a big difference between leadership and then self-leadership and leading by example is is a huge thing and a lot of the conversations I'm involved with at the moment and some, some of the work I'm doing with sort of elite head coaches where they're, they're in the business of optimizing human performance, yet the thing that they don't do is optimize their own human performance. Yeah. You know, they're hired for their brain and knowledge, but yet they're doing everything that would not um, bring that to the forefront, allow them to perform at their best you know, they're spending sleepless nights, you know, constant travel, you know, and not not that different to an executive CEO level executive, right, where up late night, working too many hours, um, not engaging in other flow activities outside of work. So I'm a big believer in training the, the executives I work with going, if you're not optimised at the start, like if you're not showing up to work, energised, lit up, well-slept, hydrated then you're you're the one letting your team down you know yeah. is your is your performance at the level and at the the quality of the caliber you know internally as what you want your your team to show up as is what, what do you do to to ensure that your self-leadership is at the the forefront and then so that you can be a better leader for your people or do you disagree with those thoughts and no, I completely agree. Um, and first and foremost, for sure, you know, I believe that any team and business, it's all about the people. So you know, it doesn't matter what else is going on and what performance, what metrics are doing. If the if your team isn't healthy, happy, and engaged, and having fun doing what they're doing, then you're never going to achieve 
what you ever aspire to. So it's all about the people. So always driving um, personal health and happiness has been a priority number one and try and kind of lead by example by taking time out and you know, mm. visibly out of the office or spending time with the family, taking on sporting events. I know I'm, I'm really at my flow state when I've got my routine and it, it peaks and troughs, but my ultimate is, you know, get up early, exercise, do a 10 minute meditation, cold shower, have breakfast with the family, then hit the work day. And I've yeah. got all my exercise done, you know, I'm not stressed about trying to squeeze something in later. I've kind of mentally prepared for the day and I've kind of proactively planned what's going to happen. And, uh, I know when I get stressed because the exercise kind of drops off because I've slept badly and then I've pounded a bunch of coffee because now I'm feeling tired and then that has this yeah. ripple effect and suddenly I can feel it kind of deteriorating. So I think for sure it's gonna it's getting into that that ultimate kind of sweet spot and maintaining that. And then like you say, then you come to work and you're super engaged, you're fired up, you've got all the right energy and then that just bleeds off into everything you do. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I, I love the I love the morning routine, and it, it's it's a big part, right? Like you know, exercise. We we think of um, you know meditation. We think of exercise. We think of these things as nice to haves, almost you know. But as as human beings, as performers, as to optimize ourselves to get the best out of ourselves, like these are non they're non negotiables. Yeah, like meditation you know, gratitude practice. Gratitude practice is a great way to retrain your brain to, to search for positive information and, and trigger the dopamine reward system. Make us feel good, right? Um, yeah, cognitive benefits of exercise alone is enough to, to get you going. Yeah, and it takes grit to stay in that routine. As you said, you know, you get stressed and you don't sleep as much. It's where we start, now we need to start leaning on the grit, the grit to recover, you know, and. And this is where, the, where I start with people the most. When I start working with them, I'm like, so what's your recovery strategy? Mm. What's your recovery plan? Like, how do you recover from the day? Like, you've, you're you on all day long. We're on social media. We're on computers. We're on Our brain is taking in more information than it ever has, yeah. and it's overload. So how do you recover from that? Because that's energy. Um, but the recovery part is, is really important. Time off family time, different different activities, exercise. So how quickly do you recognize when you fall out of that rhythm? You know, the stress is kicking, the sleep is, is this something that sort of takes takes you a while to recognize and then go, oh, I've got to get back into this? Or is it something that you're sort of hyper, hyper aware of that you sort of go, it's a couple of days and I'm like, no, I'm back on track. A lot more aware these days. I um, actually had a bit of a scare um, I'd um, spent two years in Iraq working, doing sort of environmental, social liability assessments for oil and gas companies moving into Iraq post-World War II. And I spent two years in country, kind of a month in, week out in Dubai with my wife, and then I'd go back in for a month. We were staying on like the US Army base in southern Iraq, Basra. And we were, you know, team of 10, you'd have to have six armored land cruisers, full protection teams, um, constantly acutely aware of a garbage bag on the side of the road, could be an explosive, we'll get mortar attacked on the base each night. And I was responsible for the team on the ground. You know, we had our own security, but from a from a company perspective, I was responsible for that team. And at the time, you know, I think um, I didn't realize how much it was impacting me. Mm. But I'd go back to Dubai and see my wife and, she just said, you know, you're not who you should be. You know, you can, I was probably quite disconnected, moody, grumpy, sort of a bit separated from it all. And we kind of worked through that, but then we moved to Perth a few years later and I took on um, a leadership role managing a team of 100 to 150 consultants. And I actually found then all the stress kind of, you know, then started pouring over. And um, I felt like I literally couldn't be five minutes away from a bathroom. I felt like I always had to go to the toilet because I was like that anxious. Uh, so I couldn't get on a train. I couldn't get on a bus. I'd just be sweating bullets, you know, thinking I need to go to the toilet, even though I hadn't drank anything. And so that was my body kind of 
I went to the hospital a few times because I felt like I was getting, you know, pains in my chest. But it's just me, I think, carrying a, lot, a whole lot of stress. So having gone through that process and kind of acknowledged how my body reacts and some of the warning signs, I think these days I'm, I'm, I'd never let it get to that point. But I'll probably see the warning signs a lot earlier, and I'm, I'm quite disciplined around uh, exercising enough, making sure that we eat reasonably healthy getting enough sleep you know the time of going to bed gets earlier and earlier i think it's like 9 30 10 o'clock these days and then no, we've got I, a six hear, I hear you on that one <laughs> yeah and then we've got a six-year-old boy and he's like oh seven actually he just turned seven um and he's just a super awesome kid so being able to get out and about with him and just you know forget about everything else that's going on and just being in the moment and mountain biking obviously is my meditation actually you know that's gonna yeah you can't not focus on biking otherwise it ends badly so you you're in that sort of zen state you're all in um that really yeah, you, don't, you don't have much choice when you're on a, when you're on a bike going downhill exactly. at, at mass yeah. speeds to uh to focus all of your attention on uh, you know that that's that sort of stuff is like that's high flow right there's no you don't have a choice so how often would you go mountain biking would you say three four times a week yeah amazing and the cool thing is, is we're a biking family as well. So my wife and I will ride together when we can. It's a bit harder these days with Ethan and COVID, not being able to kind of find someone to look after him. But we try, you know, that would be our, our date, you know, going for a ride together. Um, nice. And then Ethan's now getting into it. So even though it may be a slower pace and we may not go as far, you're still out and about. You're still completely focused on what you're doing and, and yeah. seeing him improve and just seeing the the instinct and the intuition that, he's kind of naturally building that they're just awesome ways of forgetting about everything else that's going on. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's amazing. That's uh, and that's the stuff that we need more of yeah. in our life. And I think that COVID highlights that more, more so now than ever. We need to spending more time doing things we love doing, even if we do love our work as well. Quite often yeah. we can get caught into like, well, I'm passionate about my work. Does it feel like I'm working? never worked a day in my life type mentality but there's always a difference so so yeah that's really cool i just want to hover on the the stress part a little bit you know so being hyper aware of it and experiencing such a high level of it so as an organization or you know from a leadership like do you have any protocols in place around well-being for your for your people um is there things that you encourage that you know what's your strategies around making sure that your people are looked after as well I mean, obviously, you're leading by example by looking after yourself and being visibly, you know, out doing things outside that. And you know, through a lot of your um, how I got to know you is through the video of you talking about the culture and the values of your organisation. But also through that was a message of of someone being out there taking on a massive challenge and journey and what that how that aligned with the purpose and culture of Vector, um, which I thought was amazing. What are the purposeful things you're doing to make sure that optimal well-being is at the forefront of, you know, the vector team? Yeah, there's quite a range. Um, starting with, you know, quite unique for the US, I think, is a, a no vacation policy. So, as in, in, it's it's unlimited. You know, here it's it's almost people don't feel comfortable taking time off. I don't find in the US, which is very different to a lot of other cultures that I've lived and worked in. So really trying to um, encourage the team to understand that they have the opportunity and they are actively encouraged to take time off and uh, spend time with their family and recharge and make sure they're as productive as they can be um, through to being very respectful of time zones. You know, we've got lots of different time zones that we're all trying to deal with. We try to make sure that we're not setting meetings at times that would consistently mess up people's days and make it either too early too late great benefits package even though we're a startup you know these sort of things just to really highlight that you know, your health is number one um, we make sure that especially through this covid time if we are doing personal get-togethers you know this is completely optional there's no expectations you know if you don't feel comfortable um, so yeah there are, there are some of the highlights of things that yeah. we do so I'm getting a big sense that there's a lot of autonomy within the, the team and, and the way you guys are going about it, which I think is really, you know, autonomy is a massive flow trigger as well, but it's, um, but it's also 
helps us link to our intrinsic motivation, which sort of that level of autonomy, really having that sense of control over what you're doing and how you do it is a big part of, um, that's what I'm getting that sense from what you're saying that that's a, you know, definitely it's I'm, that I'm, language you would use around it, but there's, there's a, there seems to be a really conscious awareness around that autonomy needs to be, um, is, is a part of success. It's an important part of success. Definitely. Um, we actually had to make a, a very tough decision recently to, to let someone go from the company because they were actually impacting that, you know, not, they weren't encouraging a safe and respectful environment. And it was very, uh, create, you know, creating bottlenecks and hoarding work and mm. creating a, a, an, you know, a, harsh environment for people to operate in and you know you're all you're always kind of taught and you you told stories about you know one bad apple can impact you know everything but until you kind of see it and you're in the middle of it and even then when you're seeing some of the warning signs not necessarily seeing the broad impact it has and actually after making that decision seeing that the culture and the the engagement just absolutely turn around overnight was mm. it was unbelievable uh, so that was that was a really interesting learning experience where you need to give people the ability to crack on and do what they want to do, and they're completely empowered to do that. They need to have the space to be able to share feedback, both proactively and anonymously, so that these things can be caught out. And I think it really highlighted the culture that we've created where people could voice some of the concerns and issues they were seeing so that we could address it. Um, and then the biggest lesson for me was just making sure that then you you act on it early enough that it doesn't get so bad it is amazing how that can you know it, it's quite often it seems it, it, it does seem from a, a logical standpoint that you know one person surely can't have that big of an impact on on an organization but again it's that it's that ripple effect that mm -hmm. underlying almost unconscious unease that is just drawn from that and then it builds and builds and builds until it becomes a big problem so what, what would you say would, were some of the, was it people voicing their concerns or voicing their experience that was sort of the thing that highlighted it more so? Was this something that you kind of, was it that you you guys as leaders were sort of became aware of and go, we might need to keep an eye on that? What were the triggers, I guess, that sort of led you to that realisation? Yeah. There's definitely some um, early feedback from a few people that, but at first it's like, well, is that a, a personal conflict? You know, is it just a one-on-one -on -one issue? And then yeah. when there started being a few other touch points, um, you started seeing the trend. And I think it's made harder to deal with when you're not in person and you're having to you know, observe people through a camera and you don't necessarily see how they're interacting with people outside of literally you and I being on a call now, I wouldn't have a clue how you interacted with the next person. And yeah. so starting to pick up on some of the, the non-verbal cues and observe kind of behaviors in meetings, even body language, and just seeing how, how they're carrying themselves and the, the energy that they were rubbing off on the team. So it, it was, it was definitely a tricky one. It wasn't, you know, punch me in the face. This is definitely an issue. It was something that took time and a lot of kind of warning signs and, you know, in yeah. hindsight, it all makes so much sense, but in the yeah. moment it, it didn't at all. It's kind of like stress really isn't it i often refer to it as like it's like death by a thousand paper cuts but you know that's sort of saying that we don't notice that little thing but over time you get enough of these little paper cuts that you know, you're going to bleed out at some point yeah, yeah it's it's a it's a challenging uh, predicament that leaders find themselves in at all times and and it is you know it's 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 part of that overwhelm and exhaustion phase because that's something that you've got to keep your wits about you know it's sort of your it's got to be something that's always there that you know being aware of as you said how are people interacting how is how are they affecting the energy of the group are they creating autonomy are they empowering it are they blocking it yeah it's quite challenging so i want to touch a bit more on your uh on your on your mountain biking because um because i read that you did um the six-day race vetra is this I wasn't aware of what this was, but I looked it up and it looks like quite the epic journey and adventure. Yeah. Um, and you did this, did you do this with your wife, I believe? Yeah. Yeah. We did it together. 
Uh, Mel's tell me more. about this this race and if you can i want you to link it to sort of like the journey of that experience how that sort of correlates and intersects with your journey of building vector interesting all right um there are actually quite a few parallels i think um so breck epic is a six-day mountain bike race um it's considered to be a cloverleaf format whereby you start from the same place every day and then you do loops from that location so you start and finish in the same spot but there'll be six days worth of loops long days you know 50 to 150 kilometers per day with lots and lots of elevation breckenridge colorado is already at at elevation you know i think it's yeah. 3000 3, meters so you're already kind of suffering some altitude impacts before you even start the race but we, uh, we made a family holiday of it. So myself, Ethan and Mel drove out from California to Colorado, um, had a bit of a road trip. And then we set up shop in Breckenridge and Mel's mom came down and looked after Ethan each day while we went out riding. And uh, the parallels to starting a business, I, I suppose there are actually lots, you know, you get there and there's all this anticipation of starting something new, you know, a lot of energy, um, but a lot of uh, anxious anxiousness and, uh, anticipation um, there's been a whole lot of prep getting up to that point you know you've had to yeah. a lot of planning a lot of logistics um, and then everything feels like it's there ready to go and you hit the go button and you have to turn it on and sort of actually start implementing all this theory um, but straight away like the first day was it was brutal you know it was freezing rain it was cold wet miserable long day in the saddle um, and that was almost like the punch in the face of starting a business. You know, you, you, you had all these major aspirations and then suddenly it's like, uh, we considered going into it and actually racing. And by the end of day one, we're like, let's just enjoy the experience together. Let's not race it. Let's just hang out, enjoy the moment, just enjoy being in each other's company and be able to do an awesome event together. Um, and then you have like the really positive days, you know, the super fun descents, you know, you just love in life. You're in the middle of the country, single track. That's kind of your flow state where nothing else matters. Through to then like the recovery moments where one night there's a funny story where every night I go to the hot tub and that was my kind of recovery town. I'd write my evening blog uh, just to kind of summarize the day and kind of digest it. And then one night after doing that, everyone else had gone to bed and I was trying to stretch and recover. And I was watching uh, like American Idol was on TV. And I remember this like singer giving this like really emotional story about how they connected with their music. And I remember just like literally sat there like crying my eyes out while I was stretching because the, yeah. my body was just so worn out. And I was obviously on the edge and just that little trigger kind of set me off. <laughs> and so it was kind of um, one of those reminders to just, you know, observe take a take a look at yourself make sure you're, you're fully topped off and ready to go and and uh and be accepting of the fact that you are in a fragile state and you need to uh, deal with that and then the next day was probably the biggest day of the lot you know massive altitude um a lot of hiker bike really windy conditions and we just ground it out together and so i do feel like it's constantly like a, a business you've got the highs and lows you've got the amazing interactions with people you've got the mechanical issues that you've got to deal with you've got uncontrollable weather events um but every day you've got a game plan you've got a target you've got a a route to follow and uh, you've got to be willing to kind of just roll with it and i i do think biking in general you know if you if you're loose if you're in the moment if you're looking far enough ahead of the trail to read the trail but not too far that you miss what's in in the foreground. Yeah. You know, all these are, have so many parallels to business. You know, you got to be spatially aware. But if you focus right in front of you, you're going to find surprises. So, yeah, it's a, it a really fun experience, and it's probably been the biggest one. But there's been quite a few different variances on that, and uh, I'd like to do another one. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And I did a 50-kilometer ultra trail run a couple of years back uh, in the wow. Blue Mountains here in Australia, and. Uh, I, I can resonate with all the feelings of leading up to it and, and stuff like that. And it, it took me 10 and a half hours to do this run through the mountains and the trails. And it was probably the most epic thing I've, I've done. Like it was, it was amazing. A couple of things were really interesting about what you said. 
the parallels of, yeah, you've got a target, you've got your map, you've got your, you know where you want to get to, you know what you want to achieve, you know things. Don't look too far ahead, don't look too short-sighted, but keep awareness around you in terms of how we build businesses and, and, and how we go through life as well. I think it's, it's the same thing. Now, how do you, how do you think your, the emotional side, the mental state and everything that you went through that event was enhanced by doing it with other people as opposed to potentially going on this alone? Like say you just decided that I'm going to go and do this six-day adventure. I'm mapping yeah. it out myself. Do you think you would have succeeded through it on your own? Do you think that having that team, your wife there and a group of people that were around you, that sort of collaborative team vibe, I guess, that you get from events like that, how much, how much did that impact your performance, do you think, being a part of something that was kind of bigger than just you being there yourself? Yeah, I've done the individual ones. Like I remember there was one year actually in Perth, there was a 12-hour night race, dust to dawn. And I was meant to do it in a team of four and the other three team members got stranded up in Northern Australia. And so I said, I'm here, I may as well, may as well do it. So I took <laughs> a 12-hour night race on my own um, and it was painful and brutal. I feel like those individual ones, you can get it done and you can just mentally grind it out. You know, it becomes completely mental over physical, I'd say. Uh, same with like, Ironman events and stuff like that. But whenever I do it in a team, whether it's a, a team event or whether it's you're just surrounded by lots of other athletes who are all not necessarily racing. They're just in it for the experience. It's just far more fun. Breck Epic made it really fun by having like whiskey shots at the top of like a super intense climb or someone would be cooking bacon at the top of a mountain. And so there's these like real nice interactive moments where you got to celebrate the little successes. Thank you. Well, there yeah. you go. There's, there's, there's the, um, there's the, there may be the new vector reward, uh, yeah, those little micro challenges like you get bacon and whiskey once you've completed yeah. a, a task. <laughs> Definitely, I love it. I'd, 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 I'd climb mountains for bacon and whiskey. I definitely would. Hundred <laughs> percent. But yeah, doing it with Mel for sure was just um, it made it a far superior, fun experience. I think than than it would have been if we'd have just stuck to our original plan of both individually going off and trying to crush the course on our own yeah way yeah, more so mem memorable yeah way more memorable you're bringing more of a group flow experience rather than just that individual flow where it's i think i always found with my flow experiences that even as an athlete the hard challenges the hard things like you don't actually really remember we're just on such autopilot in that state that you kind of don't remember just how do i do that like some of the best squash matches i've ever played i can't I, I really don't have much rec recollection of them. I remember a feeling. That's what I remember about them. I remember the start and the finish. I can remember the score line. I couldn't tell you much of the, the mm. details of the, of the matches. And so, yeah, and they said, you know, a group flow experience. When we do things as a group um, and we experience a flow state, that we, it's a deeper, it's a deeper state to be in. So I definitely feel like there's, there's loads of benefits of doing things tough and challenging on your own because it kind of shows you what you're, you're capable of. Um, but then doing things with it with a group of people is, is a whole novel, another level of, of experience. And do you draw on physical challenges that you've been through? And even, you know, back to your point about, you know, the time you spent in Iraq and the stress and adversity, all the challenges you've been through up until this point, do you draw upon them as positive reinforcements that when things do start getting tough like i've been through a lot worse you know how do you do you use that to frame the now moments that are tough tough and challenging or the ones that are coming up to go geez i'm a bit nervous about this but you know what i've, I've been through worse I've, I've gone through this i know how to handle this i'm better prepared today is this something that you're conscious of or is it something that maybe sort of playing in the background that supports your ability to lean into challenges yeah, I think a bit of both. I think probably one of my strengths when I was younger was I always joked like I actually don't think I just kind of do. And I think, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't having to process stuff all the time. I just did it. I think today I think things through more than maybe I did in the past. I think those experiences really helped me kind of reflect and put everything else in perspective. I think something I, um, I'm realized that the small things that 
go wrong, it's not worth overreacting to it or taking it personally or letting it stress you too much. You can kind of take a step back and see the big picture, put it in perspective and then come up with a plan and crack on. Mm. I think something that I, I probably need to work on is I've never really kind of celebrated some of those successes or tri- you know, triumphs. You know, it's almost just been part of the journey. It's something that's ticked off and you're on to the next one. And I think probably doing a better job of processing it at the time. And I think that's where some of the blog writing came in is forcing myself to really digest the day and celebrate the, the trials and tribulations instead of it just being a, another moment in time that's, that's gone and you maybe don't learn from it as much as you could. Yeah, I love that. I think you're right. You know, when we're younger, we're kind of in that chase, chase, chase mode all the time. And we forget to sort of stop and smell the roses a little bit and, and celebrate those little successes. I think we've, we're very good at undervaluing our own successes and not thinking of them as, as anything special because we've kind of done them. And especially trying to uh, almost advertise it to people, you know, that, that doesn't come naturally, I don't think, to a lot of people. And I certainly don't like to necessarily talk about it unless I'm asked. So, yeah, it's kind of knowing what to volunteer and what adds value to people versus, you know, what's considered to be just gloating and boasting. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just, I think that's the authenticity is is in there. Like, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with not tooting your own horn, but putting out proud moments that you can draw on that people can reflect on and, and learn lessons. And I think that the blogging situation, you know, using a blog to do that, it kind of brings the win-win for everybody, right? The people who read that stuff and can connect with it are going to get value from it. But you're also getting some sort of form of a validation of what you've done and, and a reward for it and then some some self pride and you're able to connect with that part as well, which is really important to help build the, the self-confidence, self-worth and all the, the things that help drive engagement in our yeah. life. Yeah. Really, really important. So I love the way you're going about that. I dare say probably once you start writing about that stuff, you probably experience some more flow by doing it as well. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, so it's a win-win for sure. Well, I just want to, We'll finish up. I'm mindful of time and, and you've been really generous with your time and I'm, I'm so grateful for it. I've loved, loved listening to your stories and, and your experience and your vision. But I just want to end on this question. Actually, I've got two questions if, if, if I can be a bit, little bit greedy. What's the one thing that you would like to pass on to, your, to the people that you have to have the privilege to, to lead? And I loved your quote and your bio. You said you feel leadership is a privilege. So what would be the lasting thing that you would want to pass on to them that you'd be proud of they embodied and took on themselves? And what's your purpose and philosophy in how you sort of are guided in your, in your life? The parting comment for the team or my son would be, I love the value challenge limits. You know, I think no matter whether it's physical, mental, technical, putting yourself out there, challenging the status quo, and not accepting that something can't be done just because it hasn't been done before. So I think say yes, have a go, crack on and get it done. And to your point before, if it doesn't go as planned, just reflect on it and learn from those mistakes and celebrate them. Um, so that would be the biggest one is just really embrace the moment and, and challenge it. My purpose is genuinely to um, empower a happier, healthier community. And today that's through hopefully making energy as accessible to as many people as possible in a clean, reliable and safe way that's cost effective. Um, and we'll see where that takes us. Hopefully there's, there's many more ways to do that and impact it, but that's the, that's the uh, mission today. If there's one thing that you could positively affect, what, what would be the thing that means the most to you? Well, I think it'd be energy access for all. Yeah, I think energy drives everything, you know, the whole world is becoming electrified and it's proven that it, you know, impacts people's ability to get education, get access to clean water. So today we're, we're focused on businesses because they're kind of the biggest emitters, the biggest energy users, and we can have a, a significant impact on the health of the planet and our communities and, and on their businesses to ensure that they're sustainable and profitable but ideally we kind of go down the scale and make it higher volume smaller projects and accessible to everyone 
that's a beautiful vision and uh yeah thank you for sharing uh all of that and your experiences and yeah where where can we find more about vector and yeah www.vector.com is our website i think uh it's pretty slick and hopefully uh you can get all the information you wanted from there or on linkedin um we're also on twitter facebook but linkedin is the main spot for sure cool well I'll, um, I'll make sure that i provide some links at the in the show notes here and um and yeah gareth thank you very much for your time i've uh i've loved connecting with you and, and chatting and you know i love what you guys are doing and and the culture you're building it's it's powerful and thanks really for you uh, thanks for the invite and i've learned lots through uh, hanging out and look forward to hanging out in the future thank you for dialing into the flowcast i hope you took away some valuable insights to make your challenges and journey a little more epic if you'd like to learn more about how we can help you find more flow and upskill your vision and mindset check out our flow programs at www.inspiredpeakperformance.com. Thanks again for sharing your valuable time with us and please feel free to share and subscribe to the Flowcast. Until next time, get out there, find your flow and create your own inspired peak performances daily.